Welcome to It's a Good Life podcast, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. Today, we wanted to bring you a special episode from the archives, one of our most downloaded episodes we hope you enjoy. All right, well, the top of the morning to you. Welcome to the show. I have some heavy lifting to cover with you today. It's something that's been on my mind for a while. I'm out in the marketplace a lot. I meet a lot of people. I hear from a lot of people, thousands of pieces of correspondence every month. And when we go out and do our events, I see hundreds and hundreds at a time, whether it's in meet and greets or book signings or whatever we're doing. And I just see this subject coming up all the time. And I'm especially seeing it with a lot of young people. So I felt like I wanted to talk about this subject today and maybe it could encourage you and help you if you're feeling some of this. We're going to talk about feeling anxious. We're going to talk about anxiety. We're going to talk about that manifestation of fear. That seems to be uh, the fastest growing situation in the country today. And so I want to delve into this. I'm seeing a lot of it. We have a lot of research we want to share with you. And then a few how-tos, and hopefully this will make you feel less anxious after listening to it. So anxious, by definition, is extreme uneasiness of mind. It's also a brooding fear about some circumstance. So it's extreme uneasiness of mind or a brooding fear about some circumstance. And there's a lot of uneasiness, and we live in anxious times. We live in an anxious society. On top of that, as human beings, we have kind of a need for control. And the hardest thing to do and the best thing to do is to be present for just this day. And so that's really where we're going to go today. Those are the three things I want to cover with you today. So let's talk about it. So here comes the bad news first. And it might not be the bad news. I think sometimes it's good to know I'm not the only one. I remember Beverly and I, when we were first married, so 30 years ago, we went to this married conference and was held by our church and they brought in a speaker and whatever else. And he just brought up a bunch of circumstances and it was kind of a cool thing to be in an audience where people start, were all laughing at the same circumstance. And the laughter was these speakers, it was a husband and wife speaking and they were bringing up circumstances that they experienced in their marriage. And we started laughing because we are, were experiencing that. And then the whole audience is laughing together because obviously they were experiencing that. And then the laughter kind of grew into a cascading laughter throughout this presentation because all of a sudden everybody's dealing with the same thing. You know, the greatest gift I got from that was we're not the only ones. We're not the only ones. So these little things we were dealing with or interactions with or just the human dynamic, you think, oh, man, I'm the only one dealing with this. And then you go to a marriage conference, and we, we didn't know much at that stage that uh, you know what, this is kind of common. Everybody's going through this. Everybody experiences this. And it actually, the laughter and understanding that just made us great about the whole situation. So, okay, we're not nuts. And anxiety is often something a person feels by themselves, and it's always felt as a weakness. I can't imagine anybody who walks up to somebody and says, I, I struggle with anxiety. Like, I'm proud of that. It's something that is a private thing. So we tend to keep it under wraps. It's actually even called anxiety disorder. And so I don't actually believe in that term. I think when people are feeling stress and you have anxiety, that's a natural reaction to things. 
I think the disorder, if your body doesn't make you anxious, if you're in a situation where you're having these experiences and you don't feel anxious about it, that might be a disorder. You might have a problem. So we call them these things. We call them disorders, like post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, if someone in military sees people dying, has been in a situation where roadside bombs have gone off, have lost their buddies and friends, and they don't have a prevailing stress from something like that, I would say that would be a disorder. If you didn't have the stress, that would be a disorder. So to me, whenever I meet a vet and they're struggling with some of this stuff, I say, oh, you have post-traumatic stress. And many times in the conversation, they think I forgot the D. And like I say, I think the disorder would be that you wouldn't be very human if you saw your buddies getting blown up and it didn't bother you or it didn't cause you some sleepless nights. And so that's really what I want to share with you today is, A, you're not alone. B, what kind of causes this stuff? And then C, what you can do about it, okay? And I've no doubt, like, I have dealt with bouts of different types of anxiety in my life, and I will absolutely deal with different bouts of anxiety in my future. What I have done in recent years is learn some mechanisms and methodologies to deal with it, so that it's not something that takes me off course, okay? And so hopefully this is encouraging for you guys today. But anyway, here's the stats, here's the facts, here's where we are. According to the National Institute of Health, nearly one out of every three adolescents in the U.S. today is experiencing some form of anxiety. And the numbers have been rising steadily. You know, in teens especially, this has grown. And I'm going to tell you why I believe that to be the case. But that impressionable group between 13 to 18... That number's up about 25% just in the last five years alone. Barnes & Noble just released that the largest jump in book sales by over 25% was in books related to anxiety, okay? Anxiety disorders, there's the term, are the most common mental illness in the United States affecting 40 million adults. The American Psychiatric Association just recently ran a poll and found that two-thirds of the folks in the poll were extremely or somewhat anxious about health and safety for themselves and their families. And more than a third of the folks they polled were more anxious overall than the year before. The American Psychiatric Association also pointed out that millennials are the most anxious of all generations. Now, this really hurts me. You know, it hurts me to think that young people are struggling so much. But we need to look at it, and I think there's some clues. Because young people have more to be carefree about societally than in in every generation. For millennia, the younger people had less cares, less worries, less stress. They had had less hardships, less difficulties, less bad experiences to bounce back or recover from. So older people who've had more tragedies and difficulties and setbacks and so on and so forth typically would be more anxious. So this is the first time in human history that younger people are more anxious than older people. And so we have to really delve into that. Another study that recently came out said that folks who pursue money and looks and status were likely to feel more anxious and depressed. And again, the modern world we live in, we're going to talk about that. That's where a lot of this pressure is coming from. Believe it or not, the more you have, the more anxious you become, according to the World Health Organization. So in low-income countries, 1.6% of people surveyed said they had anxiety, but it was far higher in the high-income countries. And so apparently many people are anxious about money, but apparently the more money we get, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be less anxious. So we really need to delve into this subject. It's affecting young people especially, but it affects us all. And so today's 
episode is called Be Anxious for Nothing. Now, that's obviously not a quote from me. That's from the scriptures. And it's a fantastic quote, Be Anxious for Nothing. And so we're going to talk about that. So the first major point I want to get into is that society is anxious. So we're living in a cauldron of anxiety. And in fact, anxiety is now the chief marketing officer for social media. Anxiety is the chief marketing officer for the 24-hour news networks. Anxiety is the chief marketing officer for our sports programs. In the last few months here, there was a free agency for the NBA. And there were shows on morning, evening, noon, and night that just were focused on where this person's going and where that person's going. And people having heated debate and getting all worked up about circumstances that actually never happened. Players that actually never went to this team or that team or whatever else. And just worked up on every subject. We're worked up on every aspect. Negativity is the norm. Uh, Big Think Group just did a survey that said 90% of the news on TV, social media, and so on and so forth in newspapers, if you can still find one, was negative. Okay? Another study just recently came out that 62% of all news stories on major television networks was based on a social media post. So 62% of all news, not, oh, there's now a back room of a thousand researchers, but actually that we have people who are posting a tweet or a comment or something on social media, that 62% of news stories are actually based on something posted on social media. And then they go digging around and so on and so forth. And so this is where we're going. Negativity has become the norm. And we have access and addiction to that little phone we have. We carry it with us everywhere we go. We see it all the time. And we did an interview with Neil Pasricha, who brought up some great ideas on how to break that addiction to the phone, how to actually change the dynamics, how to make the phone black and white instead of colored, how to delete certain apps or only check it in a certain time, how to actually play the game of reducing how much you use your cell phone. And it actually spits out how many hours a day you're on it. And if you think about it, if you're on your phone four hours a day, that's probably three and a half hours too much. And the same person will tell me I don't have time to market my business. I don't have time to run my finances. I don't have time to work out. I recently had an experience where a young family, a young man that I've known since he was a kid just passed away. And it was a tragedy, this young family and whatever else. And I find out the young man doesn't have life insurance. And in talking to his family, they say, oh, he just, he didn't have time to do it. But he was big on the old video games, you know? And so... Just so you know, there's a lot of things we do where we have plenty of time. We have plenty, plenty of time, but we're wasting a lot of our time. And what we're doing is we're wasting our time on things that are making us anxious. That's the problem. And we're investing in things that make us anxious. So negativity is the norm. So once you go to where the norm is, you're going to be anxious. So you have to go where the norm is not. I don't think this podcast is the norm. I believe going to conferences and seminars on personal growth and development is not the norm. Reading books to help you grow and develop is not the norm. Being faithful in your disciplines is not the norm. Budgeting and taking care of your finances is not the norm. Going the extra mile for your customers is not the norm. So negativity is the norm. And we want to be beyond the norm, okay? The next piece to the puzzle is we're becoming more inwardly focused. More inwardly focused. And this is a very, very powerful thing. And this is, again, the World Health Organization was doing analysis and they said that in Western societies are becoming more psychologically sensitive because there's less pressure on us to survive now that food and water are so abundant 
They believe that our gaze has moved away from survival and shifted inward. Now, if you've ever been to a conference I've given or listened to a lot of the work I've done, I talk about the stages of growth and development. It's survival, stability, success, and significance. So you're supposed to go from survival to stability and from stability to success. And what the World Health Organization in its psychoanalysis is saying, we're going from survival, not to stability, from survival to inward. And that's making us more anxious. Very, very powerful. Tim Ferriss, who has a fantastic podcast, said, lacking an external focus, the mind turns inward on itself and creates problems to solve, even if the problems are undefined or unimportant. Saul Williams said this, American culture is often so self-consumed that we often think our problems are just our problems, and they're not, okay? So it's very, very important, A, that we don't follow the norm, because that's negative, and B, that we got to get, instead of inwardly focused, get outwardly focused. You know one of the greatest cures for being inwardly focused that leads to anxiety and ultimately depression is service. Go serve somebody else. Go help someone else. And do it for the joy of it. Do it for the blessing of it. And guess what, though? No one is blessed more than the person who gets to do the service. It's impossible to shine a light to someone else's path without lighting up your own. So don't be so inwardly focused. Become outwardly focused. And then the last piece here is we call alone together. You know, in 1960, 7% of all U.S. adults lived alone. By 2017, 33% of U.S. adults live alone. Now... Just because somebody's alone doesn't mean they're lonely. I've actually, as a person, I'm a very synergistic person, so I've always been around with other people. I've actually developed here in my recent years, I really enjoy my own company now. And I like more solitude than I've ever liked. I enjoy it. Like in my life, I'd never go and play golf by myself. And I just did that here recently. And I enjoy the heck out of it. I go for walks by myself. I do a lot of thinking by myself. And that's alone time. I'm not lonely. So what we have to really make sure is that when we're alone, that it's intentional. And that if we are living alone, that we make a commitment. It's very important to get out and about where other people are. It's important to be in community and connection with the other people. In isolation, human beings don't thrive. We don't do our best. So it's very, very important. So being alone is not a problem. Loneliness is a problem. My good friend, Dr. Henry Cloud, says this. There's a difference between solitude and isolation. One is connected and one isn't. Solitude replenishes a person. Isolation diminishes a person. So that's where we want to make sure we differentiate ourselves. Okay, Whether you're living alone, not a problem. Just make sure we don't get stuck in isolation. So as we talked about here, again, some sober stats. Negativity is the norm. People are becoming inwardly focused. And we're becoming alone. Society is very anxious. Now, the second dynamic that happens for us, society is an outside force, right? So we have total control over that, right? You can shut out the media. You can delete apps. You can change your habits on how you start. You can put your phone instead of by your bed, put it in your bathroom, which is what I've learned to do. You can start your day by not turning on the phone, but by start reading a book or doing some meditation or going for a walk or going for a work. You can change habits. You're 100% in control. Society does not have to impose its anxiety on you whatsoever. You're in charge of what podcast you listen to. And I thank you for tuning into this one. 
And I'm sure there's plenty others that you can listen to that, again, can give you a dose of what you need. Okay, so we're control of that. The part that we struggle with as human beings is that we have a need for control. And our need for control as human beings is what ultimately causes the highest level of anxiety. Okay, and we want to control things and we feel out of control. We feel anxious. We feel out of control. People want to control climate. They want to control government. They want to control currency. Here's the thing. And I'm not saying nothing can be done with those things, but, you know, people are getting them. So my dad is almost 88 years of age, and every time I have a conversation with him, he is just barking about something he saw on the TV and something the politicians are doing so on so forth. Why? Because he's not moving like he used to. He's not getting out like he used to. He's sitting inside watching this all the time. And I keep saying to him, dad, no offense, dad, but what, what can you do about that? You know, what can you do about the government in America? You're a house painter in Dublin. No offense, but like, well, you're getting yourself worked up over this stuff. What, what can you do? And now the deal is you get worked up just for being worked up. And the deal is, as human beings, we like to feel like we have some control. And I'm going to say this. There's almost nothing we have control over. Ultimately, for me, the greatest source of helping me with any anxiety and when I'm feeling anxious is when I'm not full of faith. When I'm feeling anxious is when I'm trying to control the situation as opposed to, you know, I know who controls the future and it's not me. You know, he's got the whole world in his hands is the old song we sang as kids. It doesn't say, Brian, you've got the whole world in your hands. So that's where the dynamic comes from. Okay. And so that big piece there is I feel the need to be in control. You know, I see people who are anxious about their relationships. They're trying to control another person control their behavior and that by the way creates anxiety in the other person and so when someone is trying to control everything they become controlling and that in itself creates anxiety for the individual and for everyone around them and that only increases that only intensifies what am i actually in control of three things are the only things i know of i can control my attitude i can control my energy and i can control my effort I don't really know anything else I can control. I actually can't tell you anything else that I'm in control of as a human being. I'm not in control of my family. Now, my family's not out of control, but I'm not in control of my family. I try to influence my family. I try to lead by example for my family. I'm not in control of my company. I have hundreds of employees. We have standards and processes and this and that and the other, but I'm not in control. I'm not in control of our business. I'm not in control of our customers. I'm not in control of this world. I'm in control of my attitude. That's the one thing I'm absolutely in control of. I'm not in control of what happens to me. I'm 100% responsible of how I react to it. I am 100% in control of my energy and what I can do physically, emotionally, and applying my energy, using up my energy. And then effort. And effort is different because that becomes application. That's the things that I can do. There's things that I can do every day. I'm in control whether I write someone a personal note today or not. I'm in control of whether I pass on a good word to somebody today or not. I'm 100% in control of that. And that's what I can control. And I'm going to say this, I can't control anything else. Now, the difference between that and abdication is there's things I can manage. So, for example, I can manage my money, but I don't control the stock market. I can manage my budget, but I can't control economic forces. I don't decide if we have tariffs with China or not. I don't get to decide if there's a recession or not. 
what I get to do is manage my business, and that's my attitude, energy, and effort. Wayne Dyer used to say, you cannot always control what goes on on the outside, but you can control what goes on on the inside. Another great philosopher, William Jane, said, the greatest weapon against stress is our ability to choose one thought over another. Very, very powerful indeed. So this dynamic of control, very, very powerful. I would encourage you to read up on it. I'd encourage you to study up on it. I'd encourage you to ask people you live with, get feedback from people. A lot of times we're far more controlling than we think we are. And very good to get that feedback and have honest conversations around you. Okay, so that's what we can control. Attitude, energy, effort. The last piece that I'm going to give you today is a thought that I think can help you. And it's about being present this day. Being present this day. You know, when I read books that have influenced me greatly, like The Greatest Salesman in the World, there's 10 scrolls for success. Three of those scrolls start with the word today. And the power of the individual day. And be present this day. I think one of the reasons we struggle with anxiety is that we're not very present in each and every day. And so one of the reasons for that is if we've had difficulties or trauma in the past, we get stuck in the past. Or here comes the future and we get overwhelmed by the future. Stuck in the past, overwhelmed by the future means we're not present today. One of my favorite verses in the Bible was uh, Jesus talking to his disciples said, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Pretty profound stuff. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. And each day has enough trouble of its own. True story, right? B. Olatunji said this, Yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. Now, that's a very famous quote because I heard it from the movie Kung Fu Panda when I was with my kids years ago, okay? And so being present. One of my favorite little books a friend of mine by the name of Spencer Johnson wrote, was called The Precious Present. Very, very powerful. People who can be present do the best. Let me give you an example. One of the things I want you to watch for is in sporting events, especially things like tennis and golf where it's an individual sport. And you'll see this all the time where an underdog all of a sudden takes the lead and they're not supposed to win, the upset's coming, and the next thing you know, they go in the tank. And the reason is their mind has drifted from the present into the future and they start thinking, oh my gosh, I could win this. And the anxiety creeps up and the fear creeps up. And the next thing you know, they can't hit a ball. Next thing you know, they can't find it again. And the confidence is shook. And the reason is they let their mind drift to the future as opposed to being totally present. The great champions and the high performers stay focused on the present, okay? Again, Spencer Johnson with The Precious Present said a few things. He said, be in the present, learn from the past. That helps create the future. He also said, even in the most difficult situations, when you focus on what is right in the present moment, it makes you happier today. Be present. Focus on the precious present. I'm going to give you another little thing that helps me every day, and it's a little affirmation I say to start my day off. And it's amazing grace. I start the day off and I go, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The reason I say that to myself is I believe our society has a lot of judgment. I believe people's comments 
on the internet and social media is often just, you know, trolling, they call it, and just people anonymously slamming one another and coming to quick judgments and saying this and saying that. And I just want to stay in the present. And I go, hey, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And I want to bring no judgment to the day. I want to bring no judgment to people for the day. I just want to stay in the present. And amazing grace is a great way. For, I think about that all the time. I start my day with that. And that allows me to stay fully present. Here's the last little thing I'm going to give you that causes anxiety that the presence of the present can help us with. And that's perfectionism. Perfectionism is one of the manifestations of control, but it's really about avoiding judgment. We see this all the time. We have 22, 23,000 clients. We provide their marketing and resources for them, for their customers every single month. And we'll get people go, oh, I can't send this out. I can't send this out. Now, these are things, marketing pieces that are literally going to millions of homes every month. But one person will call up and go, oh, I can't send this out because it doesn't have this and it doesn't have that. And it doesn't mean that we're not open to feedback or whatever else. But usually when you really scratch the surface, it's someone who's paralyzed by perfectionism. And perfectionism is what leads to procrastination. But the root cause of all of that is a fear of being judged. I'm afraid of being judged. And so because of that, I don't want to stick my neck out. Because of that, I don't want to pursue my goal. Because of that, I listen to the naysayers. And so what happens is that perfectionism that becomes procrastination, it ultimately leads to a great source of anxiety, okay? Brene Brown says this, when perfectionism is driving us, shame is riding shotgun, and fear is that annoying backseat driver. Fantastic quote, Brene. And so we just have to be aware. And here's the thing. There's no perfect people. I'm not a perfect man. I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect dad. I'm not a perfect boss. I'm not a perfect anything. And neither are you. And it's okay. It's okay. Beverly and I often get a chance to talk to some younger couples. You know, we're at that stage now, married almost 30 years, and some younger couples will seek us out. And we always say one thing to everybody. It's not about being perfect. It's about being perfect for each other. And that's what it's all about. But we become anxious because we're not perfect. And here's a big piece to this. And I believe this perfectionism and this judgmentalism is ultimately what's driving up this younger generation into a state of anxiety. Millennials and the younger generation behind it are the most anxious generations in history ever tested. And one of the reasons is, is on social media is that people post their best life. Uh, it's the best picture of themselves. It's the best restaurant, the best vacation, the best outfit. A friend of my brother's, uh, we play golf with him around the corner here. He's one of the top image consultants in the world. He will do image packaging and whatever else that costs four and $500,000. He recently did a two-day shoot for a gal who's very famous on the internet. It's $125,000 for two days of photography. There's a team of designers and a team of makeup artists, and there's lighting and there's panels and there's this and that and so on and so forth. Well, so he does the photo shoot right here, close by. We're playing a game of golf about a week later. We're having a conversation, and he turns to Dermot and says, you know, I'm starting to have trouble with my work. And he said, in the past, I would do this stuff and try to make people look as good as possible. Now we do it in such a way, these people are trying to look like this is how they woke up, or this is how they hang up by the beach. And he says, I have two young daughters. And I see my daughters looking at these images that I've created, and they think... They have to compare themselves to that. That's what they're supposed to look like. That's what their hair is supposed to look like. That's what their skin is supposed to look like. That's what their body looks like. And then he said this. And he goes, this image doesn't look like this person at all. This is a creation. 
$125,000 creation of using all our skills and all our abilities to make this person look this way. And so what's happening is now we're falling into the ultimate anxiety of comparison. And we're comparing to something that's not real. We're comparing to something that's not true. We're comparing to something that is the packaged prognostication of an image that somebody wants to give us. And it's even engineered to look like it's casual and natural. And none of it's true. And we're sitting at home and we're in our sweats and the hair all sideways and the guys haven't shaved and, you know, breath that could remove wallpaper. And you go, man, I'm a schmuck. You know, I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not the other. And that's why I'm sharing with you. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Focus on today. Society is anxious. Here's what I'm going to say. Be in the world, but not of the world. Participate in society, but don't be conforming to society. If you're going to conform to the people around you, if you want to fit in with the crowd, you will be anxious. If you want to just go with the crowd, you are going to be an anxious, stressed. That's the life you're headed for. So don't fit in with the society. Next, instead of control, think in terms of influence. Think in terms of influence. Understand there's only three things you can control. Your attitudes, your efforts, your energy, and everything else is out of your control. All you can do with the rest of your life is influence. So hold your life with an open hand and not a closed fist. And then lastly, be present this day. Be present this day. As a guy that is an achiever who's been wrapped tight for a long time and work hard, head down, always had the immigrant mindset. And that's something that a lot of people have admired. And I've had a chance to share a lot of success strategies with people. I've also found on occasion, I went over the edge and did too much. I didn't have balance and I became an anxious person. And these three principles I've shared with you today are hard fought lessons for me. These are the things I didn't learn in a seminar or a book or whatever else. This was, I've done too much I'm way wrapped too tight. What's going on? And I found out I was tying into society too much. I had too much and too high a need for control. And I was either stuck in the past or overwhelmed by the future. And I wasn't present this day. So I'm speaking to you autobiographically today. These are things that have really helped me. These are things that are helping me live the good life. And I hope this can help you live the good life. So there you go. That's what I had for you today. I want you to be anxious for nothing. I want to help you out. I hope this encourages you. I hope there's a few how-tos for you. And maybe it'll let you sleep a little better and realize you're not alone and that there's something you can do about it. And one of the things I do when I uh, need a little lift in my day, one of the things I do when I need a little encouragement is I call home to Ireland on the way up to the office. And I hear me mom and dad, and especially as I hear her talk to me mom, she always gives me, well, that's good news. That's good news. That's good news. I have some good news for you. That's good news, Brian. And so uh, with the good news I have for you, I'm going to have my mom give you a little Irish blessing today. And as you hear the words of my mom, just let it wash over you and let her share a little Irish blessing with you. So maybe you can help your anxious heart be a little less anxious today. Hope you enjoyed it. God bless. We'll see you next time. May the road rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.